Of course. Back on the video games. If you applied to colleges like you applied to that game, maybe I'd be happy with you. It's been about three months since graduation. You gotta get yourself together, son. Why are you still at home? Why aren't you in college yet? What are you, an idiot? What am I doing? Am I making enough money? How am I gonna support myself? Where am I gonna work? Good morning, Water Church. Good, everybody. Good to see everybody here today. And it is my absolute joy to say again once more, congratulations to all the graduates in the house, and uh, can we give them a hand at, all, at this location anyway? If you weren't here last week, we did that last week. We do it this week because it is a crazy season sometimes. You can't come to church every week when it's graduation season. But we're glad you're here today, and if you're glad you're here today, say amen. 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 If you're happy and you know it, say Amen. Hey, everybody watching on video, we want to say hello to you. Hello to Woonsocket. Hello to Nord. Hello to Apollo Beach. Hello to our South Coast location coming very soon, hopefully opening in end of July-ish, somewhere around there. We're so excited about that. Keep your ear open for when we have our grand opening. And we want to say hello to Brandon and Michelle, the team down in Guatemala, and everybody here. Can we give a big round of applause for everybody watching my video? And you guys, welcome us in. We're so glad to be one church. In many locations, many states, and countries, to the glory of the name of Jesus. Take out your notes at all of our locations. It looks like this. Living on Purpose, Part 2. And Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. Make sure that you're doing everything in your power to remember at all of our locations to bring a paper Bible to church. I'm a big fan of paper Bibles. I love the fact that the Bible is easily accessible on my smartphone. I don't... I don't think that's horrible or bad or evil, but nothing like having a good old-fashioned Bible that you can mark up, circle, underline, highlight, and make sure that you don't forget what you heard on the weekend. Amen. Uh, take out your phone if you're online because that's the only way to get the notes, and you got to go to waterschurch.guide. And, oh, I lost it here. Let me see if I can find it again. I didn't, I didn't, I don't have it. Nope. Waterschurch.guide, you're going to have to trust me that it's there. Waterschurch.guide, it's there, and you can fill in the blanks. Click on today's message. Living on Purpose, part two, here we go. God's commencement address. It's graduation season, that means graduation ceremonies and commencement addresses. And I like that word commencement because commence means to what? To begin. It's not the conclusion address, it's the commencement address. Meaning that when you get that diploma, young people, that degree, that master's, that doctorate, you're, you're, not, you're not finishing, you're starting. That's why I make a joke out of it. I said it last week. I hope you weren't offended. But I did say, congratulations, graduates. You've accomplished nothing. Uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek because what that means is, what are you going to do with what you've got? That's what matters. And everybody here is hoping that you take what you have learned and what you have grown in and what you've developed over the last year or four years or however many years you've been doing it, and you use it to God's glory. Can I get a good amen at all locations? Amen. And I was thinking about commencement addresses because I like commencement addresses. I am weird like that. 
I went to my son's graduation a couple weeks ago, and I was really looking forward to the commencement address. I want to hear, I like speeches because I'm a public speaker, so that's kind of in my wheelhouse, and I like to learn from the public speakers. And so I spent an inordinate amount of time yesterday for you scouring YouTube for commencement addresses. And now the algorithm is all jacked up, and all I get is suggestions of new commencement addresses in my YouTube page. But anyway, I, I looked up a few, and I thought, there's a bunch of interesting commencement addresses. Like, for instance, did you know that Conan O'Brien went to Dartmouth in 2011? Conan O'Brien, who is from Massachusetts. Did you know that? And uh, now, you know, very successful comedian, late-night TV show host, podcaster now, and I loved what he said because there was that big thing about him and The Tonight Show. How many remember back in the dark ages when they were going through that battle between him and Jay Leno? And Jay Leno promised him that The Tonight Show and then he took it back because the ratings were low. And then he kind of got squashed out of the whole deal and uh, the contract, you know, they bought him out. Anyway, he talks about that and he says, it is the failure to become our perceived ideal that ultimately defines us and makes us unique. And I like that because he's like, he always wanted to be... Uh, David Letterman, and the moment that he didn't become David Letterman, he realized who he was. I like that. I like that. Commencement addresses can be filled with good advice. Not gospel truth, but good advice. And I wanted to share some funny ones because I didn't know this. Amy Poehler was asked to do the commencement address at Harvard in 2011, and she said the following. We'll put this on the screen. Hold someone's hands because it's much more fun to try and fail with other people. Then you can blame them when things go wrong. Uh, I like that one. Ed Helms from The Office uh, actually went to Cornell and did the commencement speech. If you're an Office fan, you know that his character went to Cornell. He said this, as long as your desire to explore is stronger than your desire to not screw up, you're on the right track. I like that line too. And then in 1975, Muhammad Ali went to Harvard University. And he said the following words, if they can make penicillin out of moldy bread, they can make something out of you. Turney and Amherst say, you got a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a chance. Commencement addresses. I, I don't know. It's a, just a weird little, like, um, thing of mine, obsession of mine. I just like them, and I, wanna, I like to learn how to speak through them, and I think that they're very powerful motivational speeches. And they're all filled with the same nonsense, aren't they? Uh, you're wonderful. You're amazing. There's no one like you. You could be whatever you want to be. Uh, dream big. Love everybody. Climb the mountain and achieve your dreams. Blah, blah, blah. And everybody who's been out of college for at least four years said blah. Because we know it's not true. We know. One of the greatest commencement speeches of all time was not by a celebrity. It was actually by the son of a celebrity, a son of a noted historian and novelist. His name was David McCullough Jr. David McCullough Jr. is an English teacher in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And in 2012, he got up to the podium to deliver the commencement address to upper stratosphere kids in well. I mean, talk about privileged of the privileged people. And this is 2012, right at the boon of millennials graduating from high school. Kids who had been told from birth that they were awesome. And this guy gets up and he annihilates everybody 
It was fantastic. And, and it's and one of the best speeches I've ever heard. You gotta go watch. It's on YouTube. You can go watch it. But I want to give you the opening line. I love what he said. This is not on the screen. I'm gonna read this. He says, contrary to what your U9 soccer trophy suggests, your glowing seventh grade report card says, despite every assurance of a certain copulent purple dinosaur, that nice Mr. Rogers and your batty Aunt Silva, no matter how often your maternal great cape crusader has swooped in to save you, you're nothing special. <laughs> Man, the, the chutzpah to say that to Wellesley High School graduates. Millennials of all people. And he went on and on. And the video has garnered on YouTube three million views to date. He got primetime interviews from this speech. Good Morning America had him on. The Today Show had him on. He was asked to speak at TED conferences. TED, where ideas are shared with the world. What was his idea? How to tell millennials to stick it. That earns you, that earns you TED-level conference speaking privileges. I mean, that's just an amazing boldness. And, and then he went on to write a book called You're Not Special. And it was a really powerful speech because it was contrary to the messages every child in that audience had heard their whole life. And sometimes, man, you need to hear something that you don't want to hear. Sometimes you need to hear the opposite of what this culture is constantly telling you. That's why I love doing what I do. I love doing this job because I get to get up here every week and annihilate the messages of this world so that I can elevate the messages of our Lord and you can live different and proudly in Jesus' name. And if you get offended, don't you realize that that just gets me more excited to do it again? I get this weird, sick, twisted pleasure out of that stuff, man. Some more, some more lines from David McCullough. He said this. He said, selflessness is the best thing you can do for yourself. I like that. Not quite right, but it's nice, you know. Selflessness is actually one of the best things you can do for others. But nonetheless, it's a good point. And then he said this. Astrophysicists assure us that the universe has no center. Therefore, you cannot be it. <laughs> Neither can Donald Trump, which someone should tell him. And again, that was in 2012. Talk about being ahead of your time. And then he said this, we have, as of late, we Americans, to our detriment, have come to love accolades more than genuine achievement. Hmm, that's good, too. That's, that's good for the Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram generation. Then, then this line, climb the mountain not so that you can plant your flag, but embrace the challenge. Enjoy the air and behold the view. Climb it so that you can see the world, not so the world can see you. I like that. And I was thinking about this as I was watching all of these commencement addresses this week. Where, where would we find in the Bible God's commencement address? Now, a commencement address has to be inspiring. It has to be emboldening. It has to give you a sense of courage. And it has to give you the confidence to take risks 
and try new things. That's really what a commencement speech has to do. Because again, commencement, begin. Begin, do it, go for it. And you know where it is? It's in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I think, this is just my opinion, is the greatest chapter in the Bible. The greatest. I mean, I uh, have been going through the book of Romans on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Tim Hatch, live. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. And I've been going through the book of Romans to teach you the gospel. I hope you're taking, uh, I hope you're taking advantage of the materials that we're putting out there for you. There is a dearth of Bible knowledge in our culture. That's because we've got CNN, Fox News, and all these other sources pumping stuff into our brain. We need to let God pump his truth into our brain. Take advantage. Before you turn on Tucker Carlson, turn on the truth of God's word. Amen. So anyway, Romans 8, we got to it, and I called it during the Bible study, the greatest, the greatest chapter in the Bible. It begins with, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That means that if you are a faith follower of Jesus Christ, if you've confessed your sins and turned to him for your forgiveness of sins and your new life in God, then good news, I, good, great news actually, your sins will never, ever, no matter what, be counted against you by Almighty God. You, God sees you as justified. God sees you just the same way as he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And nothing could be more um, encouraging than to know that my failures don't define me with my Father in heaven. Amen. Talk about giving courage to people to try new things. Well, then he talks about the fact that the Spirit is in us, right? The Spirit of, of Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. What do we see in the world? Laws, rules, uh, ordinances, uh, people trying to control other people. Laws, 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 religious laws, irreligious laws, secular laws, Christian laws, all these kind of things. But, but Christ didn't come to establish new laws. He came to give us the Holy Spirit wherein we fulfill the true heart of the law from within, not from external pressure without. Amen. And, and so he talks about that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Powerful, powerful stuff. And then he turns the page to where we're going to read today in Romans chapter 8. On, and what I want to give you today from these passages is, I believe, the five secrets that Christians need to know in order to live their purpose. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves do what? We, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, these next, these next three verses, you're going to know these verses. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know, and I love that and because we so often take this verse away from all the other verses before, and we shouldn't, but listen to what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the word. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that the Spirit has his way in our meetings and we see Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Paul is really known for some great verses in the Bible. We talked about it from Philippians last week. Well, Romans chapter 8, it's amazing how much we quote from that one chapter. And this one verse, Romans 8, 28. How many of you have comforted yourself or someone else because of Rome, through Romans 8, 20, we know that in all things God works. Or we know all things work together for those that love God, right? And, and this is one of those verses, too, that gets taken out of context so often. It actually gets what I call dumbed down versified. Dumbed down versified. Which means we just take certain words out of the verse, eliminate the contextual constraints of the verse, and then just slap it up against any problem. So people will say, well, don't you know that all things work together? Well, that's not true. That's not, the, that's not what the verse says. And then some people say, well, God works in all things. Well, that's kind of true, but not totally true, not in context of the verse. And, and we tend to dumb down this verse and take a few words out of context to apply to any problem. But there are some qualifiers to this verse, and there are some contextual insights that have led up to this verse that's why we backed all the way up to verse 18 to tell you what is Paul talking about when it comes to our purpose. And what I think is five secrets are brought to light. Five secrets that only Christians know. Only Christians. And so if you're not a Christian today, you can know these by the time we're done uh, today. And so here, here we go. Number one, write this down. I got five points. Pray for me that I can get done in time. Number one, we know that there is suffering now but glory later. We know there is suffering now, but glory later. The Christian is not caught off guard by struggle, or at least the biblically literate Christian is not caught off guard by struggle, by pain, by worries and stresses, by hate, by rejection, by people not liking us. And, and really what it comes down to is we have to understand what suffering is. What is suffering? At the end of the day, let's boil suffering down. Some people think suffering is bleeding or dying or, you know, being tortured. What is really, at the end of the day, suffering? Suffering is very simply this. Something or someone is taken away from you. That's what suffering is. Suffering can be the loss of a loved one, the loss of a spouse, heaven forbid, the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, whatever. Suffering is someone taken away, or someone backstabs you, walks out on you, dumps you, divorces you. That's suffering. Someone's being taken away from you, either their own, their own volition or somebody, something else is making it happen. And then, or, or suffering could be you lose. You lose income, you go bankrupt, you lose the house, you lose the whatever, and you just lose something. 
Suffering can also be the loss of health, whether through intentional acts of other people or how creation can do that through tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, uh, torrential rains, all kinds of things can bring uh, great suffering upon your life because it can take lots of things away from you. But really, at the end of the day, suffering is just losing things. And here's a big one. Suffering is losing health sometimes. And here's the reality about that one. There's no stopping that one from happening. You can't stop losing health. That's just going to happen. And I'm really digging in here because I'm mid-40s now and I'm losing health. And I eat kind of right. Like I eat one good meal a day and two bad ones. I think I'm doing pretty good. Amen. (laughs) And uh, I work out. I go to the gym. I try my best. Well, I used to love running. I used to love running. You know, running, get outside. You run around the neighborhood. You you get put the earbuds in and you just rock out to Jesus music while you run. It's great. And around 35, I started to develop all kinds of problems from the waist down from running. I developed water on the knee and this knee. I developed plantar fasciitis and this foot. Now I've got this enormous, like, growth down here on my ankle. I look like an alien. Uh, it's coming out of my ankle. I don't know what's going to happen. At any moment, it's going to be like... <laughs> of my ankle is going to come up and eat my face. I don't know what's going to happen. And scare won't go down. I've been to the doctor. They're like, well, there's nothing you can do except stretch. I'm like, seriously? That's it? That's all you have? Stretch? I've anointed oil on it. I've prayed for it. I've fast- Nothing's fixing it. There's no stopping the fact that I've lost. And what I realize is that when, when I love, what I love is being taken away from me, and that is a reality of life. And so it is with you. And why it's important to your understanding of your purpose is to know this, that you can't stop suffering from happening. And if you don't have this perspective, you will throw up your hands at the least sign of trouble and give up God's ultimate plan for you. You can't do that. You can't let the suffering now blind you to glories that are to come later. And this is what Jesus modeled for us as well. The Christ, he said, was to suffer and then enter into his glory. And 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that Christ in his suffering set for us an example that we should walk in his steps. And so Christians, listen to me very carefully. Suffering does not mean that your calling is gone. It's just a reality of life. And one of the things that I forget that I, well, not forget, but I remember from when I used to run, is that I used to love running in the dark better than in the light. Anybody know what I'm talking about here that runs? No one runs. Anyway, <laughs> this is the health problem with America right here. There you go, right there. Everybody's like, what? What's running? I've never heard of that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I used to love running at night better than in the day. And, and the reason why is because when I run at night, I can only see the light of the street lamp. And I would do this little exercise with myself where I would run into the street lamp and I would make the next three goals another, you know, the next, next, next three lights my goal. And then I'd get those three goals done. But what I loved about it is that when I, when I ran at night, I only saw the coned illumination of the lamp. I didn't see the whole path. When you run in the day, you see everything. And when you run in the day, everything's a distraction. And when you run in the day, somebody might see you on the road and honk, 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 hey, yeah, hey, hey, and before you know it, you're off, or you're stumbling, you're tripping, or you're spraining your ankle. And what I loved about the fact that at night, I only got a slice of the story. 
You know why God doesn't give you everything up front? You know why he doesn't front load your mind with what you're going to do in life? Listen to this, young people, especially recent graduates. Because if you got the whole picture of what you're going to have to go through to get to where you're going, you wouldn't run at all. You'd be like, forget that, I'm playing PlayStation. That's it, all right, I'm going to go downstairs. You've, you've, you've got to realize that God unfolds his purpose step by step. I remember when I got out of college and I thought, I want to plant churches. That's what I wanted to do. But nobody was going to hire a 21-year-old church planter. Nobody. And the only job that I had opportunity to have was up in our Norwood location. Pastor Geyser gave me a job to be a youth pastor. And I didn't even like teenagers. I, right, that was the only job that I had, but I, I took it because that was all that was there. That was the light pole for that season of my life. And you run, and here's what you got to do. You've got to run through the season you're in, or you will never get to the season you're headed to. Because this is life. Life will never go according to your plan. Life will never work out the way you imagine. You cannot do whatever you dream of. You've got to do what has been put in front of you. And some of that is suffering. And so I suffered for six years as a youth pastor. Suffered! <laughs> with teenagers from other... It wasn't the teenagers. It was their parents. They were the problem. <laughs> Couldn't take it anymore. And then one day, Pastor Geyser sits me down. He says, we're planting a location. We're planting a church in North Attleboro. Do you want to stay with the youth or do you want to go and pastor that church? I want to pastor the church. <laughs> Lamp pole. Then we start the church. But I didn't realize that when I was going to be a pastor, I never realized that preaching the word of God to God's people and studying all week and preaching good sermons and doing what I do up here, I never realized for a second that some people wouldn't like it. The audacity of these people. And they called themselves Christians. And one of the first people that came right up to my, after a service, just right up to my face with bad breath. All the complainers have bad breath. All the complaints have bad breath. You know why? Because they never floss. That's why, okay? <laughs> That's from a couple of weeks ago, if you remember. Anyway, why don't, you, why don't you use the King James? Don't you realize that the King James is the only inspired text? Don't you realize that the Bible talks about the King James, the book of God? I want to sit down with you and talk to you about the values of the King James. And it's just breath. I'm just like, I can't hear anything he's saying because I just, I smell hell coming right out of his breath. Yeah, he's just, get me out of here. And then he stayed with our church for about three years. Then he left. And I, really, I, never, I never pictured people leaving a church that I pastored. I thought, how could you leave this? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? But that's life, friend. Life is people leaving you. Suffering is people leaving you, walking out on you, backstabbing you, um, getting on Facebook and vilifying and demonizing you. And I, I, I say this in my book, and I want you to make sure you never do this. Don't ever retaliate with writing. Never write it down. Never write back. Never respond to the haters. Never get into the Twitter back and forth. Don't do it. It's a waste of time. You run the race God's marked out for you. It's suffering now. It's glory later. To skip a little bit here, I want you to write this down. Suffering does not negate your calling. It usually substantiates your calling. It substantiates your calling. 
You know what you're called to do? You know what you're called to do? You're called to do whatever you're willing to suffer through. That's what you're called to do. You're called to do whatever you're willing to suffer through. So if you're not willing to suffer for it, it ain't your calling. You know what I'm talking about. You've got to be willing to put the fight in. You've got to be willing to not give up. You've got to, because Jesus never said it's going to be easy. He said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Somebody say take heart. I have overcome the world, he says. I, I am in charge, and I love that. I got this, he says. We know the end is certain. The war has been won. We're just in the middle of a battle. We're in the middle of a skirmish. And that's to be expected. And so young people who have just recently graduated or you're you know, a couple years out of college and you don't have your dream job, or you look at the older generation and you get so worked up over what they got compared to what you got. If you're not careful, you'll start to blame everybody and point fingers. You can't do that. It's a waste of time. You got to start owning your suffering, owning your struggle. Because even if you don't get any forward movement in what you want, hey, at least you're developing some muscles in stamina. I think this is a huge problem with our world. Put five minutes in, doesn't go the way we want, so we give up. That's called having no stamina. And God is in the business of developing stamina. His best men and women went through years of struggle. Moses was 40 years old in Egypt and wanted to deliver the Israelites then at 40. And I understand, because at that age, he could still run. Amen? And so he wanted to develop. So he went out and he killed an Egyptian. And he thought, now they're going to realize that I'm here to save them. And, and they reported that to Pharaoh. And he ran, because he was 40, he ran for his life. And he ended up being a, a caretaker of his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. And it was like God was weaning him away from all the things that he thought made him powerful and what made him great. And at 80, God comes and says, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Something you need to learn that. Something you need to learn that. You're not ready when school says you're ready. You're not ready when college says you're ready. You're ready when God says you're ready. And some of you are not ready. That's why you're struggling right now. And some of you keep taking the same life course over and over and over again because you keep flunking it. You're not learning. You're, take, you're taking how to treat your spouse 101. And you don't treat them right. You wonder why your marriage stinks. So God just keeps putting you back in the class. He's the registrar of life. He just puts you right back in the class. Amen? And that's how life. you got to learn how to learn through the struggle and grow because it's struggle now, suffering now, glory later. Number two secret. We know the real reason life is so challenging. Christians are not oblivious to the, to the problems of this world because we expect it. Because our Bible teaches us to look at the grand arc narrative of God's created purposes. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility. The creation, circle creation and circle subjected. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him. Underlying him. Who is him? Who subjected creation to futility? He or him is Adam. Adam, our great ancestor, our great father of our biological selves. 
It says this, that, it, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the sons and the, of the glory of the children of God. So we know, Christians, we know why life is hard. That's what this book reveals. It teaches us that there's a grand narrative here. How did the book start? Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything. God creates everything perfect. And then he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them have, what's the next word? Let them have what? Dominion. You know what dominion means? Authority. Rule. Power. Power over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, over all the earth. Somebody say all the earth. We were created, mankind was created to have power and dominion over all the earth. And, and, and then in verse 28, it says, God blessed Adam and the woman. Her, her name wasn't Eve until Genesis 3. So God blessed Adam and the woman, Genesis 4. And God blessed them. It said, be fruitful, multiply, rule, fill the earth, and subdue it. In other words, take authority. Take authority. Have dominion. This is what God intended for you to have. But what happened was, Genesis 3 comes along, the talking snake, Eve, has a conversation, and before you know it, there's sin. And what happened was the first man and woman listened to the devil and subjected all of us to frustration. So God shows up, and he doesn't go first to Eve, he goes to Adam, because there is a federal headship in the home. Males must cover their wives and take responsibility for their homes. Amen. So God doesn't come to Eve and say, what'd you do wrong? He comes to Adam and says, what did you let happen? You didn't rule. You didn't subdue. You didn't take authority that I gave you. You subjected authority to the devil who came after you. And friends, this is why I say to you again and again, this is why I'm passionate about leading men to lead their families. You've got to take authority in Christ over your home, over your children, over your household, over your life, because this is a serious battle we're in. It's a fight to the death, and you cannot play it safe with the devil. You can't make peace with the devil and war with God. God gave you the Holy Spirit so that you can make war with the devil because you have peace with God. Anyway, he says this is the curse because you've listened to the voice of your wife. You, you laid down your authority and you listened to your wife and you've eaten the fruit tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. The ground is cursed. This world is under a curse. And it says this pain, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, it says. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For from dust you came, and to dust you will return. This is what we are living with right now. The creation is groaning, Paul says. It's groaning for redemption. And then a little interesting line there. It says the redemption of the sons, I'm sorry, uh, obtained the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what happens for the Christian, and this is so important that you get this. This is good theology. We are born cursed. We are born again blessed. Understand that or you will always be frustrated with life. Outside of Christ, curse. What curse? Adam's curse. You're just going to struggle. You're going to have thorns, thistles. The world's barely going to work out for you. You're going to put hours in and get an hour back. I mean, that's life because this world is under the, the lordship, or not the lordship, but the, 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 the rule of Satan because Adam surrendered his authority to Satan. And now every child, and this is so important that you get this right now, every child is born wrong. Every birth is instilled with a sinful nature 
The Bible calls it iniquity. It's something that's woven into the fabric of every portion of our being. That's why we don't eat right. We don't do what's good for us. We do what's evil for us. That's why the pleasurable things are always harmful and the helpful things are always hor horrible, right? No one takes their kids out for broccoli. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No. Let's go out and have broccoli, kids. Yay, broccoli. No, it's let's go out and have an overabundance of sugar and milk and freeze it. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to give our bodies immune deficiency by having all this sugar and dairy pumped into our bloodstream. Let's go, kids. Let's go kill ourselves and have a good time doing it. And, and, and beyond ice cream, there's a whole host of other things. Let's go have a bunch of drinks. Let's, have, let's inebriate ourselves and make some poor decisions until 3 a.m. and meet up at the Waffle House afterwards. How many know what I'm talking about? This is the natural course of being because we are born cursed. And no matter what we try to do to fix it, we always struggle through and we never arrive at, a chance, at an answer. Because the Bible story is not, not, about how you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, dust yourself off, and keep going on. No, the Bible story is you are lost and cursed in sin and transgressions, that God is against you. This world is against Anybody ever feel, is the world against me? Yes, it's against you. The spiritual realm is against you. Everybody's against, the world's against you because the world is cursed. But if you know the Bible story, you know that God sent us a hero. And his name was Jesus Christ. And the scripture calls him in the book of Romans, our second Adam. The first Adam brought cursing. The second Adam brought blessing. There's only two people in the Bible referred to as the son of God, Adam and Christ. And so what Adam did wrongfully, Christ did rightfully. And he brought us out of our bondage and into redemptive purposes through the Holy Spirit. As Romans chapter 5, 17 says, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Somebody say death reigned. Death reigns. That's the world against you. Through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Somebody say reign in life. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You're not called to flounder through life. You're called to reign in life if you're a Christian. So you understand, however, that we are in the present, not yet reality of redemption. The present not yet reality of redemption. What does that mean? That means that while our hearts are right with God and our spirits are right with God, the world is still cursed. So why does this, what does this matter about purpose? It matters, about, it matters this way. Um, you're not caught off guard by the challenges around you and the frustrations around you and the, and the enemy who's against you. You know the story. You know the end from the beginning. And, 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 and so we, we look at what he says here in Romans 8.22. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation is waiting for us. Look at what it says. For we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that means the present, first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of what? Our bodies. Every time you figure out in the morning that something your body could do the night before no longer can, it's a reminder that there's more to this story. This is not the last chapter. There's an, a longing. And every time, and this is important, because it says we ourselves yearn inwardly, eagerly, waiting for this. 
every time you look at the world or you look at your life, you say, that's not right. I don't like that reality. I don't like that result. It's just a reminder that God has planted in you a vision for something better that will ultimately be fulfilled when Christ returns. So ultimately, when you think that your purposes are struggling because it's not what it should be, or when you think that your life is a mess because it's not where it should be, and you have this inward reality, this inward longing, and the external realities are not even close to being aligned with it, it's a reminder that you're not done yet, and God's story still has a final chapter, and that final chapter is when Jesus Christ cracks the sky and returns as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So you don't get frustrated. You don't get, you don't, you don't resemble, and this is the heart of the matter. You don't resemble the world. You don't get mad and angry and bitter and resentful like the world does. Because you know there's still a final chapter coming. Romans 8:24. In this hope we were saved. In this hope, we were saved. We, we've got hope. But hope is not what we see. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for it, we, what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Number five. Number three, sorry. We know we're prayed for. The secret to your purpose is to know that you're being prayed for right now. I always love it when people tell me that they're praying for me. I always say, keep going, because I need it. And I, I think that there's this false, you know, image of pastors that we haven't nailed and you guys need work. That's not true. Pastors need work. Pastors need prayer. But here's the thing, and I love this. No matter who's not praying for you, God is praying for you. Here's what he says in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He says this, why? Because we don't know what to pray for. We don't know. But the Spirit himself. I always love when the Scripture says himself, or Jesus himself. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's how people say, oh, that's tongues. That's not necessarily tongues. It's just the Holy Spirit speaking into our spirits, groaning with us, for us, through the struggle that we're in. This is, what the, ho this is the hope of the Christian, that you're never alone. And... The hope of the Christian is that there are going to be moments when you don't know what to pray for. How many of you have ever been there? Huh? I got my hand up. I don't know. This is so confusing. This is so crazy. I have no idea what I should be praying for. And this is the best part of this text. That it doesn't matter even if you know what to pray for. Because God's Spirit is going to pray for you with groanings too deep for words. When you don't know, God knows. And then he says this in verse 27, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Which means that if you're a Christian, whatever pops up in your life, you know that God has been praying for that already. It, a lot of people obsess about what's God's will for my life. What's the will of God? Well, you don't know the will of God. What you know is the word of God. Do God's word. Live God's truth. Watch, walk in God's path. And understand that the Holy Spirit is praying God's will into your life. And this is why there will be unexpected twists and turns in the story. Well, I didn't pray for this, Lord. That's all right. The Holy Spirit did. Moreover, 
not only does the Holy Spirit pray for us, did you know this? Jesus prays for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, it says this, Jesus lives forever. Amen, amen. His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able and forever, once and forever, to save those who come to God through faith. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. The scripture tells us that Jesus is at the right hand side of God the Father and he is interceding for us. And you know this about Jesus. His prayers are heard. You've got Jesus praying over you. You've got the Holy Spirit interceding in you with groans that are too deep for words. So it's, it's, it's not about your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. It's not about the degree that you just attained. It's about what God has planned for you, which leads me to number four. Ready? Five secrets. Number four. We know it's actually God's purpose, not ours. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? It's not yours. It's not your purpose. You don't get to call the shots about your purpose. So I hope all that money spent on higher education was worth it because <laughs> it's not actually yours. It's God's. Here's what that great verse that we take out of context actually says. Let's take it moment by moment. I love this. And we know, and we know, so, so there's a knowledge that the Holy Spirit has departed in us through Jesus Christ, that for those, qualifier here, who love God, not everybody gets this promise. Not everybody gets this promise. So there should be moments loving Jesus Christian, where your life works out and unbelievers kind of get bitter about it. Why does it always work out for you? Well, I'm, I'd tell you, but it's not gonna help. I love the Lord. He changed my life. He's made me new. He's given me a heart for him, right? So for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to What's that next line? His purpose. It's not my purpose. It's his purpose. You say, well, what if I make a bad move? That's all right. The Holy Spirit will pray for you. Jesus will intercede for you. They'll get you on the right track again. And God's spirit and God's purposes will prevail over you. So does this mean we don't plan? No. Does this mean we don't aim at things? No, not, not at all. Ultimately, what we do is we aim, we plan, we try, we go, we get educated, we do all those things. Yes, better ourselves, strengthen ourselves, develop ourselves. I'm a big believer in all that. But we ultimately know that at the end of the day, we lay it down and we say, God, all of these things that I've tried, that I've accomplished, that I've acquired for myself, right now I lay them down at your feet for you to do what you want with me. Have this degree. Have this schooling. Have this family. Have this child. Have this marriage. It's all yours for your purposes. I'm telling you, you're going to struggle in life if you don't let this happen at some point. So that when you hit that brick wall and it's unmovable and you think, man, all my dreams are over there on the other side of this brick wall. All my plans, all the things that they told me when I was growing up. They told me I was a snowflake, I was one in a billion, and all the things I dreamed of I could do if I put my mind to it. They told me. Who told you that? Not God. God did not tell you that. God said, you are my child, and I have my purposes to accomplish in your life as I see fit. 
You think that David signed up to run from Saul's spears and, and attacks for 13 years? You think he was like, let's see, I'm going through the uh, process of registering for college here, and uh, look at this, uh, course on running from Saul's spears. I think I'll take that course. You think Daniel was like, let me see, what interests me? Let me see, lion's den. Spend two days, two nights in a hole with lions. I'll take that course. You think Peter was like, hey, uh, you're going to be jailed by Herod, and he's going to cut your head off the next morning. How about that? I'll take that course. You don't know. See, that's the Lord working through all that junk to bring about his glory through your life. You, you sign up for what you hope for, but, but God gets done what he purposed you for. That was so good, you should tweet it. <laughs> you signed up for what you hoped for, but God, what did I say? I forgot it. <laughs> Rewind it on YouTube and tweet it. Somebody tweet it and then tag me. Amen, okay. Now, now here's, what your, here's, your, here's your only qualifier in the text. I love it. For those who love God. For those who love God. So uh, Psalm 91, 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Now, that's your, that's your job. Here, here, just keep loving the Lord. You know, we have a stupid phrase that we throw out as Christians. Let go and let God. That's such a stupid phrase. Let go and let God. Don't let go. Love God and let God. Love God and let God. That should be the phrase. That's the biblical phrase. Okay, because the only requirement for your life to accomplish God's purposes for you is to keep your love for him primary. So that's where you start to eliminate the things that take you away from the love of God. And this is where we stop playing games with what's sin and what's not sin. Sin is anything that keeps you from loving God fully. Now, there is definitely sin. I'm not saying that you can make up your own rules. That's not what I'm saying at all. But understanding the nature of sin is nature of sin is that it takes your heart away from God. God, I don't want to do this because I know if I do that, it will stain my heart. I want to keep my heart right with you. This is where confession comes in. This is where community comes in. And our life group process comes in. Where you have someone that you can tell your problems to. Confess your sins one to another. And pray for each other that you might be healed. James chapter 5. That's where we get cleansing. Confess your sins to God, and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you all in righteousness so that you can live. You can live right with God. Some of you are like, man, I've really ruined my life this last week. Okay, confession, confession, repentance, and receiving the washing of water through the Holy Spirit. You've got a brand new start today. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Okay, so forget yesterday. Let's start today. Keep love for God first. Get up in the morning and open up your Bible app on your smartphone. Get up in the morning and open up your Bible. Get up in the morning and tell God, today is your day, Lord. This is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Number five secret is this. We know God's ultimate purpose is to make us like Christ. We know God's ultimate purpose, no matter what we are experiencing going through, that's, that's really just being used to make us more like Jesus. So don't stop at Romans 8, 28, because we do that too. Again, very often taken out of context. He says this, that you are called, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Now, if there is one word that gets Christians all up in a tizzy, it is the word predestination. 
So, you know, what side are you on? Are you on the predestination side or are you on the other side? What side are you? All right, you know what? I'm pro-predestination, but understand what it says here. Not just predestined to be saved, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So it's not once saved, always saved. It's not put your hand up, pray the prayer, and go and live however you want. No, I'm not in favor of that predestination at all. I am, however, fully convinced and totally, wonderfully blessed with peace in my heart because I know that the Lord who called me is going to shape me through everything that comes at me to be more like Jesus Christ who died for me. See, that's my, my predestined to not just get to heaven, I'm predestined to become more like Jesus so I can look at my enemies and I can say, welcome to the story. I don't have to hate you. I don't have to attack you. I don't have to vilify you because I know that God has sent you into my life to make me more like Jesus. And I can look at my failures and I can say, welcome to the story because I know that God knew it was going to happen before he even made me. He had all the days of my life planned out for me before I was born. And so I can look at failure and say, welcome to the story. You are helping me become more like Jesus. And I can look at the struggles and the trials and the setbacks and I can say, welcome all this stuff that everybody else throws up their hands and say, I give up to. And I can say, no, God's just getting started in my story. The best is yet to come. And this is being used to make me more like Jesus. Amen. And I can even look at the things that I keep doing so stupidly and say, God, use this to make me more like Jesus. Humble and dependent on you so that I might be the promise fulfilled. One of the brothers, or in the women's case, one of the sisters, of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3 to 4, a great promise. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Not just to get to heaven, so that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, sermon in a sentence. Christians know there's a real struggle that's before us, but that God's purpose is over us so that Christ's character is formed within us. As long as Christ is being formed in me, I can look at the challenge. I can look at the setback. I can, I can look at this season in which I'm losing, suffering, getting hated on, attacked, and vilified, and I can say, wait, 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 wait. That's, that's not necessarily what I think it is. That's being used by God to make me more like Jesus. Make me more like Him. I want you to stand with me. All of our locations. And I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes at all locations. And I want to welcome some of you here into an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See, none of these secrets are yours unless you're in Christ Jesus. They're, this word is for Christians. But the good news is, to become a Christian, one thing is required. 
to confess you're a sinner and to receive the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins. And if you receive that, you're a Christian. That's it. That's it. No jumping through hoops. Now, there's a lot to learn going forward, but it's so very simple to trust in Jesus. With your head bowed and eyes closed, if you want to say yes to Jesus today at all of our locations, would you say it? Say these words after me. You can say them quietly, but say them from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, today I repent of my sins, and I ask you to forgive me through the death of Jesus Christ, your Son. And I believe in my heart that he is raised to life for me. And he lives so that I might live. I choose to trust you. And I declare Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name.